This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Welcome to a special evergreen edition of the Steve Day Show here, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. My name is Steve Dace. He is Todd Erzin. He is Aaron McIntyre. You are you. You know, since we don't know when this will run. Like, it is possible what the audience is watching right now will not run in the calendar year of 2022 when we are recording this. So I'm a little hesitant about what social media channels to give out to follow us on, because who knows which ones will still be allowed on by the time this airs. You know, we should just get a, 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 we should just decide right now on a ham radio frequency. (laughs) Six, six, six (laughs) is the number. Yes, yes. I'm sorry. That's their ham radio frequency, if you know what I'm saying. So let's do it this way. All right. Check us out on MeWe, Parlor, Gab, and Getter. I'm pretty sure we won't be banned on any of those sites. Just look for uh, Steve Dace on those sites, except for Getter. Go to Steve Dace Show. That's what you're looking for there. G-E-T-T-R. Although I'm guessing by now, by the time this runs, a lot more of you are going to have accounts at places like Getter, so you will know how it is spelled. Uh, you can also get clips of the program, including if you decide you want to go back and watch some of this again. Because... We're going to begin a unique series here with this evergreen today. Rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. That's rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. If you are looking for options to get your kids the heck out of the government schools, uh, we have a perfect option for you. Our friends at Freedom Project Academy. I know them firsthand. The people who started Freedom Project Academy because we fought together in the trenches against Common Core a decade ago. And then I had my own son Noah enrolled in FPA for a couple of years too. So I got to see how good they do with online learning, mastery of subject matter, not spirit of the age propaganda, teaching critical thinking and how to think, not what to think and indoctrination. I saw up close and personal how good they are at this, which is why I would personally recommend that you give them a shot as well. Find out now because spots are filling up fast for this fall. So get a free information pamphlet when you go to freedomforschool.com. That's F-O-R, freedomforschool.com for Freedom Project Academy. Check it out today. Don't delay. Go to freedomforschool.com. Again, that's freedomforschool, F-O-R, freedomforschool.com. So let's take a couple of minutes here and kind of set the scene. And it's not as easy to come up with evergreen topics as you might think, because we don't know when these are going to run, right? You know, so like last year or 2021, depending on when you're watching this, we kind of had an idea. We didn't know the exact dates, but we kind of had an idea that with Aaron's paternity leave, that they were going to run at some point that year and then likely in the third quarter of the year, right? We just didn't know the exact dates. 
this is a true evergreen in that we have no idea when this will run. I mean, we could have an emergency at the show next month, and therefore it's running then. It could not run in the year of 2022 when we recorded this evergreen. We don't know. So trying to come up with things that will last and not become dated and are a little more original, not that we didn't get a ton of great reaction to the evergreen shows we did previously with on you know most impactful Bible verses, books everybody should read, etc. But you can't just do those all the time, right? So we came up with the idea on this show of modeling all of the multiverse stuff that you're seeing in uh, the three of us's beloved superhero genres of content and entertainment at the moment. What if blank? And so we we came up with a series of shows where we're going to go back in time as best we can, right? Which means we, we can't necessarily do 1879 with me having a laptop and Todd too sitting here, right? That's not realistic or believable, right? Okay. So within somewhat of recent memory, what if a few important events had gone the other way? And then... How could history have been changed from that time forward? Now, there's a bit of a challenge here in that we've got to go back and not just analyze those situations, but then begin to project what what outcomes might result from those situations and doing so all while attempting to stay in character and remembering that we are recording this, even though it's in 2022, on the date that is effective for the content that we will soon be describing. When I suggested this idea, Todd and Aaron, what were your thoughts? We'll know if it's worth doing after we do the first one. So we're about to find out. It's It, it might be tricky. You have seemed a little skeptical of this from the beginning. Well, but I was skeptical of... Uh, Which is the, okay. The book you wrote that's now being made into a movie. I was just like... Steve, you're pretty good at a lot of things. This one, I don't know if you're... I, and it was the same, if you'll recall, I told you. I'm not sure you can effectively stay in character. Right, right. To pull, and you did, and it's to your credit, but you you admitted the challenges as well because it's so dark. Can I do it and keep that thematic um, weight to it and mm-hmm. not have it come off as campy? Well, I... And do I just we, don't know. Can and, we do and, this? And do we? And, and this is what Todd and I were talking about before we started taping, Aaron. Do we do this at, from the perspective of what we thought about things at that time period? Or while we're in character, based on what we know now, does that in, impose on our thought process? And we basically came up with the answer to that one is yes, right? Yeah, there's this fantastic channel on YouTube, I'm sure, if you're into you know, historical fiction You've probably heard of it. It's called Alternate History Hub. Have you ever heard of that? I have not heard of that. No. It does. Uh, it does a lot of these types of things. Really well done. Really highly produced. But it's in like seven or eight minutes. <laughs> so what if uh, what if certain things had gone down in the in medieval times, or or what if uh, the Allies had actually lost World War II and it kind mm-hmm. of game theories that out? That's one thing to do in a highly produced nine to 10 minute video, really well done. It's another thing when we're doing it as a talk show and trying to, trying to stay in character for two hours, that's a special challenge. So my reaction was, I thought it was a great idea, 
but we needed some guardrails, which you put together as well. So we're we're going off of some some structure right. here uh, as well. But I think it'll be fascinating. Uh, even if it crashes, crashes and burns the next And two these hours. will be more formatted than any of our regular shows are because of Aaron's admonition. The final segment of the show, we will return in real time as we then analyze everything we just discussed and our thoughts about how things would have been different now based on that conversation as if it was in the moment. How would things have been different now if this event had occurred? I feel at the end of this thing, we are actually going to feel like the Spider-Man gift of pointing at Spider-Man himself. You know, if we do it well, I think it's going to be quite a mind scramble. Well, let's find out if we can do this well. And let's begin by asking the question, what if a governor actually stood up to judicial tyranny? All right, the date here, April 3rd, 2011. And gentlemen, we're kind of used to, we've got this little thing called the Iowa caucuses coming up early 2012. We're already seeing a parade of presidential candidates around our state. Mitt Romney's absence, very noted, even though he is considered to be the GOP frontrunner. There's a lot of discussion. Is he trying to avoid our state altogether? Um, And there's a lot of anticipation about who will and who won't run. Uh, right now, Minnesota Governor Tim Pawlenty is basically taken up residence in our state. He is everywhere to be found. He is clearly attempting to stake up, stake out some early ground. But you know, people are talking about will Rick Perry, the Texas governor, run? Will other members of Congress, other senators, run? Um, we're we're kind of used to our state taking uh, you know center stage politically on a national basis. When it comes to presidential politics, right? That, that's yes. that's nothing new, and that's part and parcel with being an Iowan. I mean, that's and and for those of you that don't know, we should do a show on this sometime. Iowans take their role in the Iowa caucuses very seriously because there's a lot of conversation about whether Iowa should still remain first, um, et cetera. Iowans take their role in this process very seriously on both sides, actually, and that's one of the reasons why we tend to see upsets both on the R and D side in the Iowa caucuses. But our state today is all over the national news and all over the conservative media sphere, not because of anything involving Iowa caucuses, but because of our new governor. And it's ironic, providential, serendipitous, coincidental, I I don't know, but... April 3rd, 2009 is when the Iowa Supreme Court decided that it had the power to override the state Supreme Court and create a new definition of marriage. And since Iowa is now the first state to attempt to redefine marriage without a residency requirement, right? A lot of states, you have have to prove you're a resident in order to get married there. In Iowa, you do not. And so this is why our congressman Steve King has talked about, you know, they, they're trying to Las Vegas, Iowa, basically. Turn Iowa into the mecca of so-called gay marriage. Because anybody now can come here and obtain a marriage license. Well, at least they could. Actually, in some places they still can. We'll, we're going to have that. We're confused, too. We're going to have this conversation. We're going to play this out here during the course of the show. But that was two years ago today. And that ruling made national news and put Iowa nationally on the map for something that wasn't Iowa caucus or 
agribusiness related. Well, two years to the day, as we speak right now doing this show, there is a hearing taking place at the Iowa Supreme Court again. All the same justices hearing from all the same people, and it's to rule on the constitutionality of something that we haven't really seen in America in modern times. There is a certain interpretation which I ascribe to that we saw this previously through Abraham Lincoln with the Emancipation Proclamation, that that was considered to be kind of a a check and balance or some form of an executive order against the Dred Scott decision at the time. But the Supreme Court, which... If you read the Iowa Constitution, it explicitly doesn't permit them to make the law. It explicitly says that. So they already have violated their constitutionally expressed mandate once. They're now attempting to hold a hearing on the constitutionality of an action in response to their previous unconstitutionality. You guys with me on this so far? Absolutely. Probably not. Clear as as mud. (laughs) Probably not. Clear as mud. Correct? Okay. A lot of you, unless you have followed this show since its humble local beginnings, probably do not know the name Bob Vanderplotz. Okay? Well, except for like the last couple of weeks. Because if you're anywhere in the media, you know the name now. Bob was just elected governor of Iowa uh, last fall. Um, a, A lot of people were shocked that he ended up winning the GOP nomination. It was kind of a cluttered field, um, uh, and uh, there was a lot of talk about whether uh, one or two of our former Republican governors would get back involved in the field because the field was considered either to be lackluster or, in Bob's case, too right-wing and couldn't win. And both of the former governors ended up having health issues and could not uh, just do a full-time campaign. So they ended up passing. And Bob ends up soaring here to the front of the primary field with a unique campaign pledge. This is a little different. This is next level from read my lips, no new taxes, or it's the economy, stupid, or a chicken in every pot. Bob Bob ran his campaign on a promise that he, upon becoming governor, would end up issuing an executive order that attempted to, I guess, nullify or stay the Supreme Court of Iowa's order demanding that county recorders, that's how marriage licenses are distributed in our state, demanding that county recorders in all 99 counties begin passing out marriage licenses to homosexuals who wish to engage in marriage for the first time, lawfully. Now, the base here loved this outside of the base, Everybody thought this was a joke. It had no shot. It was a cynical election gimmick, etc. Then Bob ends up winning the primary and winning it by a fairly dominant margin, almost by double digits. Now he is the Republican nominee. And this is kind of considered to be the equivalent of the Democrats nominating Dennis Kucinich. What state does he represent? Is it Ohio? Yes. Okay, that the Democrats basically nominating Dennis Kucinich to be for governor of Ohio 
that maybe that's what your crazy base loves that has no shot of winning. You basically just surrendered the state, right? That was Those were all the headlines in our state last sp- summer and, and fall or, or, or spring and summer after the primary, right? Well, lo and behold, we had this massive Tea Party wave last year that, of course, all of you already know about because many of you voted in it. And now we've got a mass of, of, you know, a new Republican uh, Congress. Democrats have gone from a filibuster proof U.S. Senate to a bare majority now at this point in time. And swept up in all of this was the Iowa Republican Party, including the gentleman at the top of the ticket. Shocking everybody, Bob Vanderplotz gets elected governor and all the polls had him trailing right around the margin for error. So two to three points ended up winning outside the margin for error. So the polling was just a bit outside there. And then there was a lot of talk. Would he follow through with this? And you guys know, I I tend to be skeptical, right? A little bit, a little bit. I mean, I've known Bob for years. I was still kind of skeptical that he'd kind of follow through with it. That at, at least to the extent that he talked about on the campaign trail, because let's face it, it, it didn't, really come up a lot in the general that was mostly fixated on economic issues, the right to work law that Democrats had repealed in our state and what that was doing economically. So lo and behold, first week in office, Bob issues this executive order. Now what's happened since then? And, and um, Bob is going to join us here in a little in the next segment of the show and he's going to be with us for two full segments because there's a lot going on here all right i mean i even wrote down some of the things that have happened here um i mentioned the two former republican governors here robert ray and terry branstead uh when bob won the nomination last year they actually ended up endorsing chet culver his democrat incumbent and uh, opponent didn't help they're now out doing uh media all over the country Maybe you've seen them on shows like Neil Cavuto and others uh, demanding that Vanderplatz get off of this and get to restarting, reigniting Iowa's economy. There has been a lot of criticism that that I think has stung some of us that grew up, you know, reading and following things like National Review and Bill Buckley, and to now see them writing columns. And and you know, I don't kind of know where even the two of you are at on this. You know, we've discussed it a little bit, but. I I I I'm I think we're all disappointed at the very least to see people like National Review on the right writing columns critical of Bob. Uh, and it's not that they have a different constitutional interpretation because we've never we don't know we've never seen anything like this right we're all kind of mm-hmm. theorizing here right. But um, what constitutional argument did National Review make in the editorial they just wrote again this morning? Answers none. The whole argument is political. This is bad politics. It's it's disrupting the GOP message. We've we've allowed Democrats in their media to just hijack everything that the Tea Party was about, and we're on this kind of you know razor thin, divisive culture war issue that nobody really cares about, right? Yep. And so I think that's actually gotten a lot of cons- uh, conservatives around Iowa and around the country who maybe even didn't know about this or thought it was kind of gimmicky are now suddenly like, hey, wait a minute, you know. This stuff kind of matters. You may not agree with his remedy. You may have a better idea. You might even think it's legal, and it might not be. Hey, well, hell knows if it is or not. But to act like the issue of marriage doesn't matter, 
this has the, the conversations that are happening on the right right now within conservative media. Let's start there. We've never seen this level of introspection and internal turmoil within conservative media as we are seeing right now. Thoughts on that? Well, I think the most uncomfortable realization you have to have about that is that what was done here, again, legally problematic or not, that, that's not really the issue. What was done here was a matter of conviction and principle, and that's why people are so thrown off. And that tells you that what you're doing most of the time in this party probably has nothing to do with conviction mm. or principle. And I think... Which is why you end up with nominees like John McCain, who are the media's favorite, and then you, they just get annihilated. But psychologically, the GOP, Steve, that you and I grew up, we they're always... I mean, there's the, the liberal side of things, and then there's... The grown-ups, and it's that old canard about you're supposed to be a uh, liberal when you're college age, and when mm-hmm. you, you grow up and you become a conservative. The Winston Churchill line. Yeah, yeah. It, but it's it's very very lazy, and it's I think all of us to some extent. I know in your career you've made people mad for obviously pointing this out on some level, but even us, we're all awakening to the fact that how what is our definition of growing up in this party? What exactly? do we stand for what hills will we die on and i think more and more of us are coming to uncomfortable realities that there's no there there a lot i i'm i'd love to get your perspective on this aaron being younger and you don't have a reagan era or anything that you grew up with like todd and i do correct and i i mean to to think back to last fall and to see both sitting, living, I'm sorry, both retired uh, former and living Republican governors, both endorse the Democrat here because of this issue. And then I think a lot of us probably thought after Vander Plaats won the whole victory as as a thousand fathers and defeat as an orphan JFK line, right? Mm -hmm. That a bunch of people on the right who thought this was crazy and gimmicky might have said, all right, hey man, he won. So, you know, let's listen to what he has to say. Instead, that's actually amped up the opposition within the Republican Party to this. And I'm left contemplating that the only reason why is a lot of elected Republicans around the country don't want to see this work because then their people, whether it's marriage or the life issue, even more you know, uh, vital to a lot of people or any kind of issue, immigration. Um, I, I wonder how many, if this works in Iowa, are we going to see a lot of our people around the country now go to their Republican governors and saying, Dude, why are we doing everything the Supreme Court tells us to do when it's clearly unlawful and unconstitutional? And maybe that's what they're afraid of, is they don't want this precedent set. I don't know. Yeah, I think maybe what we're learning here is um, there are, there are I, I don't know how many, but it's, it's not that Republicans across the country are stupid. There are maybe a few of them, and I know I'm, I'm maybe breaking some... Um, new ground here and stepping on some toes. There are a few of them who I just think don't agree with you. And that's hard to say and it's hard to believe, but I think there are spotty conser- or spotty Republicans here and it's it's not that they just don't agree with how you're doing things or don't agree with the timing of things. They just don't agree with you. So you don't, more, you don't think it's the it's the practice, it's the principle yeah, they I, don't I think, agree with. I think it's the principle that I think some of mm. them it's the principle that they don't agree with. Now as far as conservative media goes, I mean 
I think this alarms a lot of people because it's maybe breaking breaking the norms. But let's just take a step back and 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 think about what we're talking about here: the institution of marriage. I mean, the institution uh, that has been around longer than any other on this planet. And you're wanting to redefine that. It's really not redefining marriage as you've made the argument for years now, Steve. It's not redefining, it's undefining it. Mm-hmm. And along with that, you're gonna be you're gonna go to some really, really dark areas. You're undefining gender. So these people at Weekly Standard National Review, things like that, who are up in arms today and have been over the last few weeks about what Governor Vanderplatz has done, they they need to take a bigger view here. Because, again, as you've also said, Steve, the only argument that's undefeated is the slippery slope argument. Mm-hmm. Now, I know this is probably two, 20, 30 years down the road, but if you give up on marriage, you're giving up on gender altogether. I've tried who's to make to that say, point a million times in the last few years. Who's to say in 15, 20 years that uh, a dude could be a woman, a, a woman, or a woman could be a dude if they, if they wake up and decide? That's the road that we're going on, undefining marriage here. Now, I know that's a long ways down the road, but... That's that's what's at stake here. And I think that a lot of people in conservative media just don't understand that. And that's what's that's what's really making them uncomfortable here is just uh, this is just new and different. And I, I, I don't want to know. I don't want to be confronted with the reality of what we're actually facing. I, I got to thinking while Aaron was speaking when I said hey, we're about something other than principle, perhaps. What might that be? Well, I got to think we might be uh, the GOP might be also about something other than winning because we're not very far removed. You recall uh, George W. Bush largely believed to win re-election on the strength of family values. The all, marriage amendments in Florida, all of and the Ohio. marriage amendments yeah. that were they again agree or disagree for moral or legal reasons. But they won. That was just a few so, years ago. Moral values was like the one or number one or number right. two issue in the exit polling in Florida. So if you're not about principle. And you're apparently not also about winning? What in the hell are you about exactly? You know, there are not a lot of options these days to not do business with people that hate us. Unfortunately, much of corporate America has been given over to at least be simps for the spirit of the age, which is why when one presents itself, when such an option exists, take full advantage of it, especially when it's with a product that we all have to utilize every day in modern America, our mobile phones. Make the switch today like my family did last fall. Make the switch today to Patriot Mobile. If you're a veteran or first responder, you get extra savings as a way of saying thank you for your service. You'll also, everybody, get virtually the same coverage you already have because everybody uses the same towers anyway. They've always got specials going on. Right now, if you use the promo code STEVE, they'll give you a free activation and you can make that switch today. They did it for my family. They made it absolutely seamless. When you go to patriotmobile.com slash Steve, again, that's patriotmobile.com slash Steve, or you can make the call to make the switch at 972-PATRIOT. I got to tell you, and we'll get into this more when Bob joins us here in the next segment, but I, I can't be alone in being blown away by seeing Bill O'Reilly's coverage of this for the last few weeks on Fox News. I mean, I mean, uh, wasn't it 10 minutes ago, dude, at a number one New York Times bestselling book called Culture Warrior? I mean, he has just relentlessly mocked and ridiculed Vanderplatz the last few weeks. My inbox overloaded yeah. with people who cannot believe that is, has someone has is is Bill O'Reilly demon possessed is a subject line that has been emailed to me more than once here the last few days. 
And now I'll, I'm going to break some news here. Vanderplatz is finally going to appear on the O'Reilly Factor tonight. So that'll be a fascinating watch. We'll ask him about that too. But we got a couple of minutes here before the break. You guys have a quick thought on what your reaction has been to watching the biggest star in conservative media, not named Rush Limbaugh, basically attack our governor from the left on a civilization issue. A lot of people are stunned by this. Well, it very much has the feeling of uh, the curtain being pulled back, like in The Wizard of Oz. He's been so omnipresent, not in in terms of an ethos, the no-spin zone. And all it's arguably left- the most important show in conservative yes. media the last five but years. But all you're left to wonder now is, has this been spin- What was the, the inten- spin? Yeah. See, I hate even See, having these conversations. Yeah. When a guy, and you've- You've repeated this a few times, so I'm just regurgitating this. Apologies. But usually when you see a shift publicly from a guy in that, whether it's a politician or somebody who has a public presence and is spewing forth opinions and and things like that, when you go from culture warrior, writing a best-selling book called Culture Warrior, to uh, this guy's crazy for defending marriage, I don't... I'm not making any accusations. Usually that means there's some sort of personal failing. Haven't we say, seen that before? Haven't we said that before? Ted Haggard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, recent tragic example. All right. Here, we're going to try, though, to handle this as objectively as we can here. Because I'm certainly philosophically sympathetic to this notion. Hell, I spent a lot of airtime defending it the last year and a half. But now that we're practically here, let's be honest. It's a bit of a mess. We've got some counties that are still issuing these marriage licenses and a bunch that aren't. And what's the enfor- will anybody what's the law? Who will enforce the law? We've got county sheriffs on television that are both for and against this vehemently and what they're being asked to do to enforce this. And now the legislature is being pressured. Uh, there's calls for impeachment. I mean, this has not been an easy uh, solution. We're not even sure it is one. So we'll discuss it more. When the man of the hour, Governor Vanderplotz, joins us here in just a few minutes. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network. Following the truth, no matter where it leads. The Steve Day Show. Well, we're joined now by the man of the hour. And I know, Todd and Aaron, you're going to have questions that you want to ask as well. And we're going to try to ask the questions that probably won't get asked on the O'Reilly Factor tonight. Because our guest is going to probably get 12 minutes max. And Bill's going to talk for seven and a half of them. And that's not a shot. I'm the last... I'm the last host in America that ought to uh, cast aspersions for dominating a guest airtime. So save your emails. <laughs> That's just a fact. We all know how Bill rolls, right? And so it's going to be seven and a half minutes of Bill. And then, Bob, you got about four minutes there to say and try to answer his numerous challenges. So first and foremost, the governor of Iowa, Governor Vanderplas, is here. And we want to first of all say thank you for your time. Thrilled to be here, Steve. And looking forward to the O'Reilly Factor tonight as well. You're not 
scared or intimidated at least a little bit? No, I think, as you know, uh, when I went into this race initially, it, it wasn't even for marriage. It was for economic development, delivering education with excellence, giving parents choice in education. And in the Supreme Court Act. Yeah, and yeah. serving people with disabilities. And the Supreme Court decided to go outside the constitutional bounds and do what they did. And that's when I made marriage and this executive order a main issue of my campaign. So I want to, I'm gonna give you, and, and you're being very generous with your time. It's not like you don't have anything else to do here today, but uh, I think it was wise for you to agree to give us an entire hour. Sure. Because we're gonna have an opportunity to address the issues that the five or six million people are gonna watch you on the O'Reilly Factor tonight. Just in the, and even if Bill wanted to be fair to you in the time he has, he can't do, right? So I want us to try to inform, get as much accurate information from your point of view on what is and isn't happening in our home state right now because the whole country is paying attention to this and why Let, let's start at the very beginning the idea of an executive order this is something you and i have talked about numerous times publicly and privately uh, over the last year and I, I want the audience to hear where did this idea come from and then who did you consult with that it actually, you weren't going Palpatine here, I'll make it legal, that this mm -hmm. is actually even legal to do. Well, first of all, the idea came in about, uh, it's, it's a leadership principle and something so important is at stake. Sometimes you need to go on pretty much a leadership fringe and let people know this is important. We need to stand in the gap here. And as you know, Steve, my dad uh, had a stroke two days after the Varnum decision mm -hmm. on April 5. And, but on April 4, he talked to me because obviously the newspapers covered this decision. Tell the audience, your dad, tell, tell them a little bit more about it. Well, my dad served in World War II. Mm -hmm. uh, and my dad served his country and his family and his church his entire life. So April 3, this opinion happens on the Varnum case. April 4, my dad talks to me over the phone and basically says, Bob. That's the name of the Supreme Court case, yeah. Varnum versus yeah. Breen. Yeah. My dad says, uh, Bob, how can they do this? He said, we didn't risk our lives, and some people did give their life to basically trample on the morality of our culture and to let anything goes. But he was deeply disturbed by that. April 5, he has a stroke, and April 6, he passes away. That was a little bit of an inspiration to me that, you know, we need to do something here. And I was in the throes of this governor's race already. Uh, but I remember, you know, contacting some constitutional scholars about do they have the right out, do the, do they have the right to do this? And the ones I visited with, as well as uh, talking to, to some others, in particular some campaign staff, some of them were like, well, I don't know if you can do this or not. And I thought, you know, we need to do something because I don't believe the court is the final arbitrator here. I don't believe the court gets to rewrite law. I don't think the the court gets to make up the constitution as they go. And I think the reason you're seeing this being a national discussion today, yeah, marriage is the issue, but it's the constitutional authority of the court is the issue. And so America needs to have this conversation. Are we going to give the courts this kind of power? And I'm one here saying as a governor of the state of Iowa, in Iowa, that's not going to happen. Let's, let's now then talk about the practicality of this. All right. So to me, there's the principle which you've already articulated. There's the, the practicality of it, and then there's the politics of it. And mm -hmm. we'll discuss that at, at the end. You guys okay with those three? Yeah. Okay. So there's the principle of it, which you've addressed, and we can come back later and ask some follow-up questions practically. 
this thing, if I'm being blunt, is a bit of a mess right now, okay? We have, <laughs> we have 99 counties in our state, and I've got all kinds of people emailing me around the country. Why in the Sam Hill does Iowa have 99 counties and Texas has like 68? <laughs> we okay? should have 100, by the way. <laughs> yeah, all right. But we do. We have 99 counties, all right? Uh, local autonomy, all right? There's your, what's your Catholic uh, tradition on that? What's it called? Subsidiary. There it is. All right, that's big in Iowa. All right, so we have 99 county seats, 99 school districts, you know. Um, and so there's a lot of local representation, but that also comes with a lot of bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. uh, the most recent count is we have 75 counties that are no longer issuing marriage licenses to homosexuals out of 99. So we're winning. Okay. <laughs> well, that's the politics of it. We'll get to that sure, in a minute. Sure. All right. We have 20 counties that are doing it and they just so happen to be in all of the most populous counties in the state and then <laughs> then we have five counties who have just thrown their hands up and said we don't know what in the hell to do and so they're not <laughs> they're not issuing marriage licenses at all in five counties in iowa mm -hmm. okay so you swore an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States and Iowa. Equal protection under the law is is explicitly mentioned in both the federal and our state's Constitution. And we're sitting here, though, where we have literally three now. We the, one, the critics have said you guys have gone from a controversial new marriage law that maybe a majority of Iowans narrowly opposed to now three marriage laws, and no one knows what the marriage law is. A is that a fair criticism, and then B, how do you respond to it? Well, I think what it is what you what you just laid out about seventy five counties uh, staying with the executive order, saying we're not issuing marriage licenses to 20 saying we are going to issue mm -hmm. marriage licenses to uh, to gay couples or same-sex couples, and you have five saying, I don't know what to do. Guys, when you go outside the constitutional parameters, when you start unraveling it, you are going to have a mess. And that's what we're dealing with right now. And so what we're trying to do is, okay, let's have the conversation. Let's have the discussion. That's what the whole executive order is for, that we are going to have this conversation. Who makes law? And when you go outside of the laws of nature and nature's God, which I believe we're bound by here, I mean, are, to me, you're going to get chaos. And that's what, what we're seeing right now. I'm trying to reestablish order in the state of Iowa. And I think the reason the whole country's paying attention, and there's a lot of people in this country that want to have reestablished order in this country as well. Would, can we do this into perpetuity practically? Like the, the Supreme Court... I don't know if you had a chance to hear the open to the show or not before you came in, but you know they're holding a hearing about your executive order right now. Sure. And so we've got this crazy situation where you issued an executive order against what you deem to be their unconstitutionality, for which they will now review the constitutionality of your attempt to confront their unconstitutionality, right? That, and so I, there's a lot of discussion, and I've brought this up when we've, ta we've talked about it without having you here Let's say they rule your thing unconstitutional. What do they do? Send the, the sergeant of arms of the state Supreme Court to arrest Governor Vanderplatz. I mean, what is their enforcement mechanism? Well, the same challenge has been levied at you. Now, late last week, you did come out and urge blue state or blue state, blue county governors. I'm sorry, sheriffs who serve under you in the executive branch that they have a obligation to defend your order as the law because they work underneath you 
Almost none of them in these counties have come forward and said they've agreed with you on this. So, I mean, what's what's the end game? Can we just into perpetuity have a state where some places are are dry counties and some places are not? Right. You know no, what I'm no, saying? you can't. And matter of fact, I, I'm not putting the blame on these individual counties. I'm putting the blame on the court. And that's why I'm giving a little bit of grace to these counties right now while I'm holding the court in check. And the court now, Steve, is no longer wrestling with marriage. Is it limited to a man and a woman or it should be same sex? The court is wrestling with separation of powers. Hmm. Who gets to determine? So a broader discussion right. than just the marriage definition. And so what, what you just asked, you're right. The court does not have the power of the sword. They can't, they can't come in or they don't have that power. Matter of fact, it's the, the, the legislature that has the power of the purse. The governor has the power of the sword. So therefore, what I'm saying is separation of powers, they don't get to do this. We have a law in the books. You need to uphold the law and tell the people either to vote it in differently by a constitutional amendment themselves, or the legislature basically affirms same-sex marriage, and I would sign it or a governor would sign it to codify it. That's the process they need to take. They violated a process. Therefore, marriage is still the law of the land. You go to the code book right now, is reserved for one man, one woman, and that's the way it should be executed in the state of Iowa. That's another question I have, <clears throat> pardon me, is the blue, the blue counties here that are issuing marriage licenses to, to homosexuals, if you look at the form that, that Iowa, the, the, the license form for a marriage certificate in Iowa, it provides no such option or space beyond just male and female, as we typically right. have, bride or groom. So are these marriages, therefore, are they even legal then? No, they're not. They're not valid. And that's the other problem I have. And and so you know that I have, I have relationships with people in the same-sex community, okay? Meaning that I have friendships there. Or you did before this, maybe. Well, no, what, what is, well, what, they, what, what I found out, what they respect, though, is I'm willing to stand my ground. What my problem for them is, you're being lied to. These marriages are not valid in the state of Iowa. So therefore, you go ahead and have your ceremony. You say, therefore, it's not valid. It's not legal. So let's get this thing rectified and ratified and send a message to the country that we do things according to the Constitution. We do not allow judicial tyranny to happen in our state or in this country. One more thing on the practical side. We have a third branch here, all right, and that's the legislature. So far, so for people the way that don't you know, just phrased that is probably the whole problem in all this. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> it is the first branch. Yes, yes, the one that's explicitly charged with yes. making the law. Yes, correct. The way I always interpreted your action is that you would essentially act as an appellate court here, to saying, "Hey, I'm the executor of the state. If I'm governor, I don't know what the law is. The legislature says the marriage law is one thing. The court says it's another. I took an oath to defend the Constitution, and the Constitution says only the legislature can make the law." That's a great argument. Okay, all right. And so this executive order, and this is how I used to explain it to people when it was being discussed last year, is that this would be like when when the Supreme Court remands a case back to its original jurisdiction. Yep. Because, hey, you guys didn't get this one right, and there needs to be some clarity here, so I'm sending it back to you for your own review. And that this is what the executive order would do. It would essentially send this back to the legislature where it belongs, like we saw in Massachusetts with Goodridge, and then the legislature didn't act, mm -hmm. and then Governor Romney decided to unilaterally enforce the state Supreme Court order as the new law when the legislature didn't act 
Okay, that this is what that would do. And then if maybe at a Republican legislation, now we do in the House. In fact, we went from like a supermajority of Democrats. We have a supermajority of Republicans right mm-hmm. now. But the state Senate is totally tied. And of course, that's completely dead right now. But even in the House, they have not held hearings or anything. There was attempts to, uh, you know, to go after uh, to impeach you for this, which just fell on a partisan vote. OK, but where's the legislature at? That's a good question. And the thing is, I'd be more than happy. If the Supreme Court would return to the legislature and say, clean up this thing, insert the words male and female versus man and woman, whatever it is, but let's be clear about what marriage is or what marriage isn't and send it back. I'd be happy for that. Steve, I've talked to uh, the co-presidents, Bill Dix and Mike Gronstow. Of the Senate. Yeah, and okay. I told them, where's guys. A, where's a 17 or 18, 17, 17 tie, I think is what it is, or something like that. Or? I said, I once have spoken during this election. 25, 25. I'm Understand sorry. what they've done. I've brought in uh, Speaker Craig Paulson, who just found himself in the Speaker's office, bringing him in, saying, I once have spoken. And guys, I'm defending the legislative process, even for Mike Gronstall. I would have who, loved to have snuck in a digital recorder to hear those conversations. Even Mike Gronstall, who's a Democrat and who opposes everything. Matter of fact, he believes that we should have same-sex marriage. I'm telling him, you don't want a court to be able to have this kind of a power. And what was their reaction to that? Well, that, Because a lot of people think that they, the politicians in both parties do want the courts to have this yeah. kind of power because it absolves them from accountability. They can just wash their hands of it, Pontius Pilate style, and say, hey, the courts, uh, the courts made it so. Yeah, and, and that's the problem we've gotten ourselves into. The legislature has punted way too often, so the court then says, okay, then I'll take the ball. Mm-hmm. And then don't forget, in all these law schools, even the law schools where I had debates, like Drake University, they teach their kids the courts make law. They've done this for 50 years. The courts don't make law. That's unconstitutional. We're going to have this debate. But what they, have, what they have noticed inside my office, that they understand Iowans have spoken, and they also understand this gives them, the legislature, more power because they are the closest to the people, representing we the people. So I think this is a healthy conversation. And, Steve, it's why I am so excited about having this conversation with O'Reilly tonight, even though he seems to be off the rails on I don't know where tangent he's on. I'm excited to have this conversation because we can have a logical conversation with a constitutional conclusion. Have you ever wondered how big tech knows so much about you? Well, three easy words, free email services. When you click accept on those terms and conditions, you are giving that free email provider the go ahead to scan and analyze all your email, which means free email services are data hoarders. They're not really free. You're paying with your data. That's why you want to protect your data. And instead, pay our friends over at startmail.com. They keep your emails private. Every email is encrypted, including if the recipient doesn't even use encryption. And when you delete an email using Startmail, it is gone forever. They have all their own services, servers. They are not with Amazon or anybody else, so they can't be put out of business. Take your cybersecurity seriously. Control your privacy with Startmail before it's too late. You can give it a shot right now. Startmail with a T. Startmail.com slash Steve. Get 50% off at Startmail.com slash Steve for 50% off today. I've got just over a minute here. Let's begin the political part of this conversation with one question. Did you just do this last year as a campaign gimmick, and then it ended up being far more successful than you ever envisioned, and you backed yourself into a corner? So, And then once you actually got elected, you just had to follow through, otherwise you would have been a joke. 
because that's one of the that's one of the things you read in like the Weekly Standard, for example, mm-hmm. from the right. That's what they're saying. Well, I think you know the answer to that. If I was a typical politician, I would have forgotten my pledge. I would have just took the office. The fact is, I believe this with every stitch of my DNA, not just that marriage is reserved for one man and one woman, as what Aaron talked about, you start taking that away, you're going to start un, unfeathering a lot of principles uh, in our culture. But also, I believe in the constitutional role of government. Okay. And so that's where we're at. All right, we'll come back. You guys ready to respond to some of this? You bet. Yeah. All right, and I've got some follow-ups as well as we have part two of our conversation with Governor Bob Vanderplatz here in a moment. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network. is Steve Dace. The Steve Day Show. All right, we are back with Hour 2 here on The Steve Day Show. Alongside Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre. So we have a policy on our show. We try not to ask you to directly donate to something that we have not directly donated to. Because if I wouldn't give to the cause, why would I recommend that you do that? Well... I have given directly to Alliance Defending Freedom because I've seen up close and personal for years that they know how to take scalps in courtrooms when it comes to upholding our God-given rights and defending our constitutional liberties. And they do it all for all of their clients pro bono, which means they need funding from tax-deductible donations from people like us. If you would like to make one today, they take cases all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court and have a phenomenal WNL record. You can support them today with a tax-deductible donation when you go to adflegal.org slash Steve. Again, that's ADF, which stands for Alliance Defending Freedom. Make that tax-deductible donation today to ADF's Freedom Fund when you go to adflegal.org slash Steve. Once more, that's adflegal.org slash Steve. April 3rd, 2011, we didn't expect to be coming on Blaze TV and radio and talking about a parochial issue here in our backyard that was not necessarily Iowa caucus related. But here we are because we have an issue happening in our backyard that is doing something I thought was not even possible unless it was involving agribusiness overshadowing the Iowa caucus process. And the man of the hour that's at the center of all this is with us here now, Governor Bob Vanderplatz talking about the controversial executive order that he has issued against a Supreme Court opinion, a very unpopular one in uh, our home state from uh, exactly two years ago today, uh, actually. Uh, As governor, uh, Bob kept his campaign promise. He issued his executive order. And as a result, we have the vast majority of counties in the state of Iowa having their county recorders no longer issue licenses to homosexuals in contrary to the Supreme Court's order of April 3rd, 2009. We do have uh, a couple of dozen that are, and then we have five, I just keep chuckling at this, who are just so frustrated and don't know what to do, they've just stopped issuing marriage licenses all together, all right, waiting for some clarification. So, Bob, you're going to be on the O'Reilly Factor tonight, which we've already talked about, and, um, and I think we all know that 
even if he's fair to you, you're not going to have a lot of time to go in depth on these things. So, Governor, we appreciate the fact that you came in today to, to try to go in depth on them with us. We've discussed this from the principled standpoint. We've discussed it from the, um, the practical standpoint. Before I throw it over to Todd and Aaron for the follow-up portion of the conversation, let's, let's go further on the politics of it. So I, right before the last break, we had you address a, a frequent criticism, and this was actually written uh, by Stephen Hayes in the Weekly Standard, uh, that this is just a gimmick. You backed yourself into a corner. You, 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 you basically fooled our numbskull uh, you know, base of idiots, and they voted for you on this. And now you backed yourself into a corner, and you had to live up to that vow. And now you're, 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 you've, you're cornered, and we don't have a way out. And this has essentially become a national issue that has stolen the GOP message out of a promising Tea Party election, right? How about what National Review wrote again just this morning? That that what you're advocating is, a, quote, a road to nowhere. That was the title of their piece, by the way. Road to nowhere, written by Rich Lowry. And, and I think I, did not the entire National Review editorial board actually sign off on sure. this? Yeah. Okay. I think it was the whole board. Okay. Rich is just like the head of it, right? Okay. So this is like an official statement from maybe the most respected at least until now. <laughs> by Come, some let's of us. split the baby in half, <laughs> shall we? This is the an official statement by the editorial board at what is considered to have to be in the history of the conservative movement the most respected intellectual platform on our side. Fair? Yeah. Okay. And they are accusing you of charting a road to nowhere for the Republican Party. It's clear that they are concerned that you will inspire um, our base to now go, in, particularly in very deep red states. I was not a deep red state, by the mm-hmm. way. Um, but the, in places like Alabama and Texas and these other places, that that our base will now go to these governors and demand, hey, we've got much stronger numbers than they have in Iowa. Why are we doing any of this stuff that these courts deem as nuts or, or that we deem as nuts that they want to impose on us? And they just view that as electorally a complete loser. This has spawned a massive debate. I, I can't think of a single guy on Fox News or Gal that is supportive. We've already talked about O'Reilly. He's their number one show. Um, it's been interesting listening to Rush over the last month. Um, I, it's clear he's he's divided on this. Mm-hmm. That uh, He also is perturbed that a that the governor of Iowa has hijacked the entire Tea Party message <laughs> for, uh, or allowed the media to do that. He's made that pretty clear. But it's also, uh, there's an element of, of sympathy for your level of, I guess, maybe radicalism, even if he doesn't quite understand it. So at least with Rush, you're getting a fair hearing to some degree. You think that's fair? I think it's fair. Okay. Um, but Fox News, it's just like the anti-Governor Vanderplot's channel. I mean, they, they clearly, Mr. Ailes, you have you have... You have crawled up his backside. I mean, he is not happy over there. And now we've got dueling conservative historians and legal scholars. Matt Staver from Liberty Council has come out in an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal today defending you. David Barton over at Wall Builders has long been an advocate of this, uh, even back to during the gubernatorial sure. campaign. But now we're seeing a lot of Jonathan Turley's on Fox News. You're an idiot. You can't do this, even if you think the court's opinion is wrong, etc. So the political aspect of this, we've got former governors in the state endorsed your Democrat opponent. And now they are doing media in Iowa and all over the country, urging you to get off of this and get back to, you know, rebuilding Iowa's economy. I, I don't I don't know that there's a question there. OK, <laughs> but just what's your reaction to all of this? I think one word exposed. 
Uh, exposed meaning, why do you want to win? And I think this is, I'm not doing this for National Review. I'm not doing this for Fox News. I'm not doing this for Rush Limbaugh or anybody else. I'm doing this for the people of Iowa and for our Constitution, which we believe we say we prize. And so that's why I'm doing this. That's why I think the majority of Iowans are with me on this. And that's the thing you need to remember, Steve. The vast majority of Iowans are with me on this. It does seem that lost in the washes, you just won the governor office by five points in a pretty 50-50 state. That does seem to be lost on everybody. And not only that, but we just had a red wave in 2010. I mean, this was a result of the Tea Party. People saying, I've had enough. I've been taxed enough. I've had enough. I'm sick of the way things are. And now we've got people that are kind of our standard bearers at National Review or Fox News saying, but now that we won, we just want to keep things the way they are so that we can win again or we can hold power. And I'm thinking, no, that is not the reason you hold power. The reason you hold power is to make a difference. And the power is not for you. It's for the people that you represent. That's why we issued the executive order. That's why I won the election to become Iowa's governor. And I believe once we prove this in a logical, fair-minded manner in the courts, and we, we prove our defense of this, and it gets retorted back, I believe now we're going to get a lot more fans again. Like, you know, maybe the court shouldn't have this much power. Maybe we should let the people really be we the people. Maybe we should have their representative elected office holders actually represent them. Maybe we should have a governor stand up and actually defend them. Hmm. Is it lost on anybody that we have killed 40 million plus babies since 1973 off a court's opinion? Yeah. One last political question and then Todd and Aaron, the floor is yours. We have this little thing going on in our state right now called the caucuses. And being that you are a newly elected Republican governor who in the last caucus cycle supported a guy who went from no percent to getting more votes than anybody in the history of the Iowa caucuses and Mike Huckabee, you would think candidates would be beating down your door for photo ops with Governor Vanderplatz. We're not seeing that. Now, there's a lot of discussion about whether Mike Huckabee will run again or not. He's got a successful show. I mentioned there's no shows on Fox supporting you. I meant primetime during the week. Mike's on weekends. I mean, he's very supportive. uh, And he was very supportive of this during the campaign. But who knows if he will run again. Candidates that have actually come here in some form of official capacity. I think Tim Pawlenty's been to every address in the state of Iowa except Terrace Hill, where you happen to reside. Um, There has been one. Uh, Former Senator Santorum came here kicking the tires a few weeks ago, shortly after you issued your order. And he seemed at least a little supportive, but frankly, nobody takes him seriously as a presidential candidate at this juncture. So what does that tell you on a national basis that, I mean, in a normal cycle, you'd be the kingmaker here. This whole thing would essentially be an audition to win the endorsement of the Republican governor like Charlie Crist in Florida last cycle with Giuliani and McCain, right? And he endorsed McCain and that pushed McCain over the top and that was the end of Giuliani, right? Instead, you're radioactive. What do you think that tells you? Well, I think what is politics as usual. They're trying to, they have their toe in the water, they're feeling the temperature, they're trying to see how this thing plays out. This is not business as usual. This is not politics as usual. Therefore, if it turns out good, say for the people of Iowa, which means good for Bob Vanderplatz and good for a Republican-led legislature, all of a sudden you're going to start seeing more and more coming our way, going, you know, I agree with that. Because why? It's their launch to say to be a national contender for the presidency. However, if all of a sudden they believe, no, the court had that right, and the court ruled differently, so therefore we're championing the court, 
and the, the per political polls, the public perception polls start going against me, I think you're going to see them take, take that wave. But that's why I think, I think Mike Huckabee's got a, a reignited, at least thirst, that maybe he should run for president. Because you're right, he came all in for me during the campaign. He backed this executive order idea. And now that we won, I think he sees I may have a path here as well. So it may relaunch, say, a Mike Huckabee as well as some others. Okay. Gentlemen, I've gone through the three main angles of this as best I can. The floor is now yours. Uh, are you, here's my vibe that I'm getting, Governor. As more and more attention comes to this, the spotlight gets bigger and more and more people go more silent or more wobbly. It's, 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 and it should be unsettling to all of us that we're talking about redefining marriage at all. Right. Period. But a lot of these people, they, they know something crazy is going on, both on the defining of marriage, both, both on the, the, the chaotic nature of interpreting law. But it's a matter of belief versus action. When it comes to action, when it comes to doing something about it, I'm just struck that the amount of people, um, and it's a very un-American sentiment, that default, like, the, it's... They give some version of that's beyond my pay grade. I know this is a problem, but somebody else is supposed to be mm. doing something about it. That's what the government is for. That's what the experts are for. Are is that something else that needs to be talked about? That we are as Americans just getting so soft and lazy that everybody else is supposed to be doing the things for us. That when the rubber meets the road. No, it's it's we the people, but they keep defaulting hmm. to, again, a so-called expert class that is they're supposed to, you know, mm. midwife us throughout our yeah. entire existence. That's also equally as frightening to me as just redefining marriage, and that's pretty chilling. We don't seem to want to do the work yeah. of governing. That isn't one heck of a point I hadn't even thought about. Because it, you've talked about the broader implications of this constitutionally. You just addressed the broader implications of this on a cultural level. Yeah. Are we just not going to be self-governing anymore and right. just outsource and our citizenship? Yes. Okay, go ahead. I think you put your, your, your finger on it, Todd. We, we did not get here overnight. We didn't get to same-sex marriage overnight. We didn't get to unconstitutional government overnight. Why? Because we just kind of defaulted, right? Matter of fact... A lot of the pastors in our pulpits who should be teaching about what marriage is and what marriage isn't. And why? And, you know, they have gone silent. So therefore, okay, so why are they going silent? Mm -hmm. Why are we allowing the courts to keep making these decisions? Because they know more than we do, so to speak. Well, now all of a sudden you have somebody who has provided leadership at a level going, time out. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. Marriage is, is reserved for a man and a woman. It's that way from Genesis all the way through Revelation. It's the best for a culture when you have parameters on, on an institution like marriage. It's a foundational institution and the Constitution, something our founders gave us. Now there's been kind of this whiplash, like, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to think? That's why when Steve laughs at these five counties, throwing up their hands. <laughs> it's a sympathetic laugh. Yeah, it's a sympathetic laugh. <laughs> but I can understand where they're at. They're like, oh my gosh, this doesn't happen every day. Why is this getting national attention everywhere? It doesn't happen every day. But that's why we need to have the conversation on a cultural level, as well as on a marriage level, as well as on a constitutional level. And I'm glad we're having it. Who would vet those experts, by the way? I'm really struck by the point you just made with all due respect, Governor. I hadn't even thought about that angle to it. 
Because, I mean, I could just see that applied on just virtually any kind of an issue. On any kind of an issue, you just don't have, you're, you're disarmed, you're disenfranchised. You don't have a voice because so-and-so has a certain amount of credentials. And granted, it probably came from a rotten-to-the-core academic institution with a particular narrative it wants to put. I mean, that, that to a very dark place we could go with what you just and, cited there. And there's always been a tension there. And quite frankly, the, the experts of the day have always ruled ruled mankind whether they be shaman or or tyrants or with hordes going across uh the plains uh, raping and pillaging but here you had almost no recourse then now when you have as a free people more recourse than ever before that default mode that autopilot mode Mm -hmm. it it's it's deeply un-american that we sit by and just watch this thing be ham-fistedly shoved down our throat and we just say yeah that's uh, that's what i hired them for so todd what you're saying is not the road to nowhere which the national review is saying you're saying this is a road to somewhere when the experts tell you tyranny you you, you no longer should have guns mm-hmm. do you just give your guns yeah, away yeah. when the experts say you should close your close your business due to whatever reason do you just close right. your business due to whatever reason when the when the experts become in charge and they get more and more and more authority and they get more and more power they want to hold on to that power more and more and make you more and more subjects. That's why we need to stand for, and have this conversation and discussion that we're having right now. And I believe we're going to win it. That's why I'm so calm. I'm at peace with this thing. Not only did I know we were going to win the governorship, I believe we're going to win this issue. And when the Steve, you talked about the op-ed. The op-ed that, Steve, that Matt Staver wrote, mm-hmm. the reason that spoke so much to me, he was a critic of it early on. Mm. Now he, a constitutional authority, is in favor of this. Aaron, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think, just adding this along the lines of what Todd is saying, it seems right now we're going to find out whether our politics to the right, the, the, the base of the right, is actually real life, real, or if it's just a reality show. That's, I think, what, what we're going to find out here and how this continues to play out. This question, though, for you, Bob, I'm asking for two reasons. One, um, I'm sorry, Governor Vanderblatt, I'm asking for two reasons. One, I just want to hear it straight from the horse's mouth. And two, I think it would be instructive for other states, other listeners that we have in, in other states who want their governor to do the same thing that you have done. And it's it's this. Just from your perspective, game theorying this out down the road. Let's say the Supreme Court says, uh, no, you are not within your constitutional rights to challenge and to undo uh, the unconstitutional edict of the, the Iowa Supreme Court. What's stopping you from saying, uh, cool opinion, bro, uh, my order stands? What the, the question is this, what is the enforcement mechanism that those who are opposed to what you're doing have to actually bend you to their will? Because to me, it seems like the, 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 the forces that uh, would like to preclude you from, from doing, doing this and following through, through with this, it seems like their ability to enforce that is very thin. It seems like as the chief executor of the state of Iowa, your ability to enforce this actually is a lot bigger than theirs. What's actually, what's actually their enforcement mechanism down the road, it, even with every single court order, court opinion, what have you, uh, going against you? Aaron's a great question. And what you're doing, this is, I, I wish I was teaching a government class right now, because you have two branches of government at odds with one another. 
you have the governor's office, the executive branch, at odds with the judicial branch. So that means another branch of government it should step in and resolve this, and that's the legislature. And the legislative branch, remember, this is their law. This is what they passed. This is what they crafted. Matter of fact, in the Defense of Marriage Act, they doubled down on it. And matter of fact, it was because of the Defense of Marriage Act and some vague terms is why the court has issued this ruling. So why not clear up the language and resend it to me, let me sign it, and, and therefore we uphold it. The court has no, they don't have the power of the sort. That's reserved for the governor. And if you get branches out of, out of whack with one another, that's when another branch has to come on in. In this case, the legislative branch have to come in. And that's why I believe the legislative branch in the state of Iowa, which just had unprecedented red wave as well, should understand the pulse of the people and where we're at. We want constitutional government, and we want institutions to mean something that have been longstanding like the institution of marriage. Aaron, Excellent. you satisfied with that answer? Yes. You guys have anything follow-ups before I ask one or two? I do have one regarding tonight. We've been, importantly, in the details and in the weeds on a lot of this, but tonight when you talk to Bill O'Reilly, he he is going to, the force of his personality to make you feel as if you've already lost just because he said something so confidently and it may have been the back of a soup can. <laughs> really, that's what he does. Uh, it's a, I'm not saying he's not... And it pays it, well, yeah, uh, by God. But it's, it, it doesn't mean he's dumb or wrong or anything like that, but he, he actually uses that as a tool, and I quite frankly, I, I respect that. So it's going to be as much about your ability to immediately turn the narrative than just get into all the weeds and the details. You have to have thought about that. How do you plan on capitalizing this so you're talking about what you want to talk about and not the straw man that he has? Well, I think tonight's appearance, and, and maybe Bill O'Reilly's listening to this interview right now before I go on to his show, but I think tonight's appearance, I have the unfair advantage, Todd. The Constitution's on my side, and the law of nature and law of nature's God is on my side. And it happens to be that the people of Iowa and I believe the people of the country are on this side. I don't care how, how much he screams or yells that he's right. It doesn't make him right. It doesn't make it so. I mean, if you want to give me factual argument arguments and let me be able to defend that, I'm happy to do that. But I want to be able to have my chance to make comment versus being interrupted as well. I think the reason we won the governorship isn't because the people of Iowa are radical. The people of Iowa are very purple. It's not That's a red a or blue state. Right They're very intellectual. They understood what was happening here. And I think the people of this country are going to understand what's happening here tonight as well when I'm on O'Reilly's show. My goal tonight is that O'Reilly would agree with me. You're right. You're standing on solid ground. Can I give you a, a suggestion? Sure, I'd love to. I, I'd I, like you haven't done that before. <laughs> I, I would suggest forcing O'Reilly in front of his audience to wrestle with the broader implications of this to take it beyond the marriage issue to every single issue. Property rights. Yeah, every, rights. Well, a kilo decision from just a couple of years ago you that bet. is one of the most unpopular in the history of the court. Um, we, we had the Arizona case just last year where the Arizona governor, Jan Brewer, because the Obama regime would not defend the border and illegals are pouring into her state, she tried to defend the border and then the court told her she couldn't do that, mm -hmm. right? So we've got the Obamacare case that's happening right now. You know, it, that one seems pretty open and shut. Have you looked at the questions the court asked? I mean, they, they made it pretty obvious. 
that they that you know government can't mandate you buy something but what if that decision later this year goes the other way yep. what if they what if they come back and say actually yeah government can do that to you what what would be here because here's what i'm afraid of what you said a few minutes ago has got my wheels my gears grinding brother i'm gonna tell you because i'm playing out all kinds of scenarios in the future what happens if we set the precedent what's our state's motto again the liberties we prize, our liberties, our liberties we prize, our, our, our rights, rights we, we will change. maintain. What's the first word there? Our. Our. Yeah. So who's so who's responsibility? We the people. Yeah. And who's who's so who's on the clock here? My my fear is that even if we approach the era that you're talking about, and a majority of Americans are this compliant, there is still going to be way too many though that are not, right? So. What happens if they feel as if they're not represented anymore? Have we contemplated that? Have we, have we contemplated what would happen if people thought that their elections were irrelevant, that they could vote for whoever they wanted to, and then it didn't make a difference because a judge that they did not vote for would just render their election to be a moot process? And if it, if, and, and if it wasn't about, you know, it's one thing to say we're going to mandate aborting children that aren't born yet. It's another thing to say we're going to mandate aborting you, who is. Mm-hmm. All right? It's, it's, it's one, it, and those, you aborted my property rights a few years ago with Kilo. You're taking, we're seeing this in our home state right now, but with all kinds of, uh, you know, Kilo issues with private property, with family farms and things of that nature. When you start taking people's land from them, and it's, and it's personal now, and, you, and, 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 and no one voted for any of this. No one consented to any of this. Even the people that are for it never voted for it or consented. This is all being done by, do you see where I'm going with this? Sure I is do. there What happens, and especially if we're being brutally honest, a lot of those people are the ones that own all the guns. We start sending a message in, down the road here that you're, you are not represented, that you, you can't win, no matter if you win. I, you know, I'm sorry, maybe what you said has panicked me. But I am game, game planning this thing out for the future, and I'm, I'm kind of concerned about where that whole conversation goes. Well, your road to nowhere is a road to somewhere as well. Yeah. And that's when people have had enough. I mean, it's okay to be ruled for a while, but all of a sudden, you know, I, I've had, that's what we termed the term revolution. Mm-hmm. That's what takes place. Now, remember, Steve, I had this debate with two Supreme Court justices, me against two Supreme Court justices, Robert Albee and Chief Justice Mark McCormick. And when I had that debate, because they had to have two versus me, and I thought it was kind of a fair playing field, but again, I had the Constitution (laughs) on my side. I started to unveil what could happen, your property rights, your gun rights, the border. Uh, What does define marriage? Does anything go now, whatever? You know what their comments were? Because this is what goes to you, Todd, Mm -hmm. is that when people rule, they want more power, more power, more power. So their idea was Vanderplatz is this far right, whacked out guy giving you red herrings. The fact it is, it's not red herrings. It's not being whacked out and far right. It's being constitutional and foundational. And Steve, I think you're exactly right to take what Todd talked about and then start walking down that road because it's a scary road. And that's why let's bring order to the chaos that exists in the 99 counties right now by bringing clarity to the Constitution. Got just about two minutes. I'll give you the floor here. What would you like to say? First of all, I'd like to tell the people of Iowa, thank you for electing me. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to have this conversation and discussion on your behalf, because it is on your behalf. And we have a national audience, and I think it's going to have national implications way down the road. 
Because people need to understand this goes back to inside a classroom of who makes law, who execute law, who interprets law, who makes sure that rights aren't being violated, those types of things. But let me understand freedom is at stake. Let me be clear, your freedom is at stake here. No matter how we unpack this, how we peel back the onion, the freedom is at stake. Let's make sure that your representatives, that they get to make law, the governor's one who gets to execute law, that is not reserved for the court. If you do that, you will have judicial tyranny. And your property rights, your gun rights, anything you hold dear, how you educate your children. Why should Todd be allowed to private school his kids and Steve homeschool his, homeschool his kids while I have to public school my, my kids? Everybody needs to go to the public school. You see how far this goes? That's why we need to win this argument to have a reset, not only in the state of Iowa, but a national reset, not just for policy, but also for politics as well. If you're a dog owner, you know that taking care of your pet means so much more than just giving it food and water. That dog's a part of your family, so its health and happiness is very important to you. That's why we've been telling you for a while now about how Rough Greens can change your dog's life for the better. They don't have to anymore be denied the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients that were stripped out of their food the minute it ever left the factory. They do that to the people food, too. That's why we take so many supplements these days. And now there's one for your pet, and it's called Rough Greens. You just mix it in with your pet's food, and with that one simple act... You restore the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients likely missing from it. But you might be wondering, what if it doesn't work? Or what if our dog doesn't like it? Well, now you can get a free bag of Rough Greens to get you started and see if you don't see a difference in your pet in two weeks or less. You just pay for the shipping, but the first 14-day Jumpstart bag is free when you go to Rough Greens, R-U-F-F, roughgreens.com, roughgreens.com, or give them a call at 833-ROUGH-DOG. You know, we did have a Supreme Court case just last year. And the court ruled five to four in favor of the Second Amendment. One vote on the court. What would have happened if they had voted the other way? The Second Amendment uh, they, it doesn't exist any longer? I mean, I, we did that show, by the way. I asked my audience, hey, court would have gone five to four the other way on that gun case last year. That D.C. versus Heller case, I think is what it was called. Mm-hmm. They go five to four the other way. I guess you, the next morning, do you? because I, I was trying to make this point about your order. Yeah. Does hand that mean we guns. just turn, turn hand over all your guns the next day? And... There's a lot to think about and contemplate here. Governor, thank you very much for joining us. And if for nothing else, for sparking a long overdue and necessary conversation in the country. Thank you. We'll come back, have some final thoughts on what you have just heard here in just a few moments here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. The truth. Straight. No chaser. Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network. So that the world may know, this is Steve Dace. All right, welcome back to Real Time here on the Steve Dace Show on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. So what are you viciously loyal to? Your beliefs, your family, your community, your country? Well, Viciously Loyal is a purpose-driven brand as unique 
as the people who wear it, everyone and anyone who is viciously loyal to something that matters to them. It was a brand born from a long line of service men and women who choose to be servants to their community, live their lives with purpose in everything they do. That's why all viciously loyal gear is designed and printed right here in the USA as well. Premium shirts, tank tops, designed with serious style and maximum comfort, plus durable construction with super soft blended fabrics as well. Uh, it is something you definitely want to check out. I've got a line of these shirts. They are absolutely phenomenal. And you can try them now too when you visit viciouslyloyal.com. Uh, visit viciouslyloyal.com. Use the discount code Steve at checkout. They'll give you a whopping 20% discount when you do. 20% off with the discount code Steve at checkout when you go to viciouslyloyal.com. So we have been tackling the question for the last hour plus. What if a governor actually stood up to judicial supremacy? And we have been looking at that question through the lens of what would have happened if our own friend of the program, Bob Vanderplatz, had won the GOP nomination in 2010? had won the governorship in Iowa and followed through on his campaign pledge to do exactly that over the issue of marriage. So let's now examine in arrears how this has played itself out, what it means for the time period we're in today. And, and, but let's start with, this is our first attempt at doing this. You began with some skepticism. We could pull this off, Todd. Your thoughts on that? Well, it's ultimately going to be a lot for other people to decide as well but it was it was fun uh, it I, it was relatively easy to get back into the moment situationally uh with some of the details i still kept the most awkward i felt is that it's steve you've been radical radicalized mm -hmm. your entire career which is and i I think we, but we're so radical now in terms of. Oh, my 2011 oh, self would not see, recognize this person I am now. <laughs> but yeah, so that's where it was hard because you, you would have been in that. If that actually happened the way that you would have been more aggressive, mm -hmm. more angered. Uh, while still none of us could believe just this far down the road. Mm -hmm. I mean, our, our, our children were most years were all alive then. Mine, uh, mine, yeah, mine all were too. Like it, and they're still all under my house. I mean, this isn't a lifetime ago, mm -hmm. but we are, we are utterly untethered from reality right now. Back then, we we can't, I was trying to find out if we were going to be able to like give that sense of you know of wonderment watching yes. this happen in, in real in in its and in its common time. like it, 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 we're all going to wake up right common sense is going to kick in mm -hmm. people and and that's why I don't we were talking with Bob a little bit off air about how different things could have been because of pushing an agenda that I'm I'm left un it was fun. I'm left unconvinced by based on anything we said or because we keep talking about like the fictional interview that was going to happen with O'Reilly and all of those kinds of people that were utterly ready and willing and prepared at that point to sell out beyond our wildest dreams. And we would have learned it 
Yeah. Many I mean, years don't you feel like on the, did. on the other side of everything we mm-hmm. just talked about in fiction is just heartbreak no matter because it's a spirit of the age. I I can be talked out of that maybe, but and we would have all fought just as hard. Hmm. That's what I wanted to see. I wanted to see if trying to do this would change my opinion about if we had only done this, if we had only done that, and you have to do it no matter, we're called in faith to do, uh, to be faithful, outcomes are ultimately for God. I, I don't see, based on anything we did, a, like a, you guys are the betters, like a bet your lock, oh, there it was, there's the sweet spot, we thought it out, I didn't feel that, but it was a lot of fun, and I think we did a good job at it. I think it certainly, Aaron, it would have changed the calculus of information sources many years sooner. Um, you know, the idea in 2011 that Weekly Standard would go out of business was laughable, mm-hmm. and yet here we are. All those things that have transpired in recent years, I think this event, as we've broken it down, would have caused them to all happen sooner. The House of Cards would have gotten exposed sooner. I do think that would have happened. Correct. That's exactly what I'm I'm thinking as well. But I don't really think... I'm not really sure 2016 would have played out any differently. Because I think 2012, at this point, uh, would have been more tenuous. But I think 2016 uh, would have played out fairly, fairly similarly. Um... I think I think the number one thing at least that 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 I'm coming away from this is you understand it's one thing to look back, oh I remember in twenty eleven, oh I remember in twenty twelve. You remember these snapshots in time. Game theorying this out even in an alternate universe. Game theorying this out, it helps you to appreciate the temperature back then instead of just a snapshot and it helps you it helps you understand especially towards the end of our conversation what roads this leads us on if we feel that we are not represented adequately or at all it helps you understand and it helps you appreciate the allure that donald trump was Mm -hmm. walking down that escalator Mm -hmm. that's something that somebody like me who i'm not a huge fan of donald trump and a lot of people who are not fans of Donald Trump, rightly so, there's a million reasons to be uh, critical of him. It helps us understand and have a little bit more humility that there are so many of our countrymen who even back in 2012, 2014, 2016, 2015, when, when he walked down that escalator, who did not feel like it was their country, who felt like no matter who I voted for, things just keep getting worse. The courts keep speaking and the talking heads keep telling me that I have to do what they say. And so either for a Hail Mary or just uh, an F you, I'm voting for this guy yeah. because he doesn't sound like all those people. Yeah. It helps us be a little bit more, uh, a little bit more sympathetic. So that's for whatever reason, that's where my mind went yeah. with this entire thing. And and he's 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 incorruptible because he can't be bought off. He's wealthier and richer than most of these people are yep. already, right? Yep. And so we he'll listen to us more than he'll listen to them. And mm-hmm. that and that contrary to my belief at the time, both when I was being wooed by him and then when I was getting paid to defeat him, and then well into the general election, that more often than not. 
proved to be true once he got into the Oval Office until March of 2020. And more when, often than not, it didn't, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, when he then essentially caved to all of the kinds of interest that you brilliantly warned us about. That essentially the argument that you made, Todd, is the Supreme Court could just be named Anthony Fauci. Yep. Yes. Or Anthony Fauci is just called the See. Supreme Court. That it's just a, a, a class of technocrats beyond your accountability yes. or votability, and they ultimately get to reign, not the people. So you asked uh, me what I thought about both of these yesterday when we were uh, just on uh, uh, texting each other, and I said... Uh, the the next one we're going to do is going to be a fascinating Rorschach test, but the one we just did is probably going to be pretty damn depressing. And that that's why I ultimately asked the question, and I, I figured that out in real time as we were talking, because to sit there and see a people back then on something as like fundamentally obvious as marriage, just as a f- free people— not an oppressed people, a free people punt on that as as if it was too complex for them to understand and the experts need. It's like me, I'm a former minor league baseball umpire. I, I'm not allowed in the middle of the game to simply say, uh, yeah, my pre- I have always thought that rule is pretty dumb or arcane or I don't think it's going to apply here and I'm just going to change it. And by extension, those coaches would just say, okay, I guess, well, he's the umpire. No, right, right. you could protest. I'm just amending it in the middle no, of the game. No, I'm not yeah. allowed to do that. But that's, in effect, what happened. I'm literally, like, when you, is there any more obvious than what you a man what? is, what a woman is, and what marriage is? But we sat there, and we did what we did. I'm going to push back on you, though, but in a way that I think is going to prove your point. There is one area of baseball where we have permitted this. The strike zone. No, oh, sure where we essentially have individualized umpires acting as their own courts with their own versions of a strike zone, which, by the way, what is the most, and it's not even close, what is the absolute most contentious thing with about any rule whatsoever when it comes to Major League Baseball? What is it? It's the strike zone. It's the thing you, if you try to argue it, you get thrown out, mm-hmm. okay? It, yet it, it causes the most arguments. It, it causes the most ejections. It causes the most um, most tension within baseball itself. We A ball is either, uh, is, is either foul or it is not, right. right? Okay? You either touched a base, rounding the bases, or you did not, mm-hmm. right? The area where they've allowed unofficial... It's 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 not it doesn't say in the MLB rule book that each individual empire is entitled to their own strike zone. It doesn't say that at all. Instead, it actually defines what the strike zone is. But but they practically allow the 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 former scenario to happen that each individual empire is essentially granted his own strike zone, right? And yet that and and what ends up happening is that causes more tension more confusion, more frustration, more anger than any other rule application in all of baseball, and there's no close second, which actually reinforces your point. This is the one exception where they, this is the one starry, decisive exception they have permitted into the Major League Baseball ecosystem, and now look at what, and, and, and it's the most divisive one of them all because they, that's the one where they've abandoned their own rule book, mm-hmm. their own preordained, pre-stated pre-contrived and conceived rules, right? Yeah. So, do you think, do you guys think 
beyond it was probably an interesting listen. If you were in the audience, do you think you took something important away from this today? Hmm. That's not a good pause, is it? No. <laughs> it's just rehashing. Not not rehashing. I guess that's maybe a that's probably the wrong term. But you know, when when you read through when you read through a good book, even a historical nonfiction book, um, did you learn anything new, anything important? Um, no, not if you've read it before. You probably remember the main points. Are there different details that you pick up on or, or things or implications that you think about? Well, yeah. Yeah, every time I listen through Harry Potter, every time you watch Lord of the Rings, you pick up on little details. Anytime you watch your favorite TV show, you pick up on little details when you watch it through again. Did you learn anything? Not necessarily. That doesn't mean it's not worthwhile, though, in the long term. As long as this is not purely entertainment, doesn't mean it's not worthwhile. My my takeaway about having a little bit of empathy and humility for people who really believe in Donald Trump and what he uh, and what he was selling back in 2015 and 2016, eh, that's a pretty important takeaway for me, for me. But uh, as far as the whole audience goes, I guess it's up to the individual viewer. Most people who are right of center. These days, I'd wager uh, a lot of the people who are fans of the show, God bless you, but a lot of them default, default to the, I, I don't care what anybody else does it, it, on their own time, in their own bedroom mm-hmm. sort of thing. But look at where, that, that's a version, uh, uh, that's kind of the redheaded stepchild of love is love. You know, you ultimately, it, it, it's not about that for our worldview. It is about what is reality. And if you hollow out the guts of reality, it it will not, you won't be in a position anymore to just say, you do what you want to and I do what I want to. Because that, their version of reality is chaos. Mm-hmm. And it will consume all. And so you need to be get involved on levels that make you uncomfortable, even they don't necessarily directly have anything to do in your daily life. Listen, there... In my past, I don't know if I've ever brought this on the show before, but at my previous uh, uh, parish, a a kid uh, in high school who previously went to my kids' K-8 Catholic school uh, committed suicide. Mm. That family had money and wanted to, as a memorial, build a chapel, which they did at the school. It didn't have its own chapel. But they wanted to name it after their kid. And you instantly, everybody was like, well, you know, it didn't even, and me and a couple other people, it, yeah, it's going to hurt some feelings, but this is a Catholic school. You're not naming a chapel that where you go to pray in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost after somebody who killed themselves. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. It doesn't matter what everybody feels like saying that out loud, but it's true. Mm-hmm. And we ended up winning the fight. But it, we got called a lot of bad names because how dare you in their time of pain? It, that is basically the same thing I'm talking about. It doesn't affect my life. It, ultimately, either you defend reality or you will not have reality anymore. And have not we learned that in the last two years? 
That's really well said. Damn it, Todd. <laughs> I'm glad I just looked at the clock. I'm glad we're down to 90 seconds because I don't know what to add to that. I mean, I think it's it's just it's 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 very well said. And I think if nothing else, we would have had conversations we're having now and have had the last couple of years. If this event had transpired, we would have had them much sooner and at a time when the numbers were more in our favor and the institutions were not clearly as um, mobilized out in the open against us, but still had to at least feign in public a little fear of the people, right? You could have turned the tide because there was a tide to turn. There was still something to be turned. Agreed. Well, that'll conclude the very first ever What If Evergreen here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Until the next time, John 317. The truth, straight, no chaser. Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.